0: I want to say that it's good to see everybody out with us this evening. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you've come to worship God with us. Hopefully we'll have some thoughts that you'll be able to use as you go along life's way. I want to talk to you a little bit about a subject that's an old subject, and you're probably pretty familiar with it if you've been around Bible very much at all. It's out of First Samuel, the 15th chapter. You're going to read about Saul and the Amalekites a little bit and God's plan that he had for Saul and the Amalekites and exactly what Saul did uh, in trying to carry out that and uh, kind of made a mess out of it, to be honest with you. But uh, in in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 3, the Bible says this, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, is there anybody in this room that can read that doesn't understand what God meant for them to do? You know, God's instructions generally aren't hard. Generally, you don't have to have a degree in rocket science to understand what God wants you to do. And certainly Saul and the people understood what God wanted them to do. He said, you go and you utterly destroy these people. You wipe them out. You take care of them. Now, Amalek had a habit. Whenever... Whenever Israel was coming out of Egypt in the Exodus, there was several million of them, perhaps. There was a lot of people, and they had their animals. And in a caravan like that, you're going to have stragglers and those that fell behind. Amalek would descend down on the stragglers and kill them and rob them and had a habit of cutting them up into little pieces, which is going to explain to you why Samuel does what he does here toward the end of the chapter whenever he gets a hold of Agag, the king of Amalek. But the instruction to Saul is very simple and very plain. Go and utterly destroy them. Don't bring anything back. Don't take the prize of war, nothing like that. Just utterly wipe it out. Now, there's some things about this I want you to think about. That seems harsh, doesn't it? That seems tough. You know, sometimes when I watch the news and things like that, they'll bring verses like this up and talk about how hard-hearted God is and how it wasn't fair and it wasn't right. I want you to know that God is a righteous judge. The Bible tells us that God is a righteous judge and His judgments are righteous. In 1 Timothy 4, verse number 8, Paul said, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. You know, I used to look at that as just a statement of fact. I used to look at that and say, well, yeah, of course, Jesus is the righteous judge. That's a statement of fact. You know what that is? It's a warning, people. I think sometimes people have been presumptuous enough that they have taken God's role onto themselves. Every now and then we're doing these Bible studies and we get down to the end and somebody will look at me and say, do you believe I'm saved? I'm not gonna answer that question. I go, maybe you're confusing me for somebody else, like say God. God's gonna decide who's saved and who's lost, folks, not me and you. We're not going to determine who is going to heaven and who is going to hell. God is going to be the one that does that. Jesus has reserved judgment for himself. And we need to be very careful about making judgments like that on anybody. I don't know their heart. I don't know their past. I don't know their life. But he does. And he's qualified. You know, if I was the judge, there are some folks I'd go very easy on. And there's some folks I might be pretty tough about. That's not righteous judgment. Jesus is going to judge righteously. Now, in the book of Hebrews, I'm kind of of betting the farm on this one. You get into the 8th chapter and get down along around the 11th, 12th verse. I shall be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. I'm counting on that. You see, I don't want the justice of God. I want the mercy of God. And that's what we should want for our friends and neighbors and our family and the people we come in contact with. We do not want God's justice. But if you want that, He'll give it. You know, when He forgave, there, I've talked to people sometimes, and they, particularly husbands and wives, and they say, I don't feel like forgiving. You don't feel like forgiving, do you? Who cares what you feel? Somebody said, well, I just don't feel like... Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an action that takes place in the mind of the forgiver. You know what real forgiveness is? And this is what God is offering you and me through the sacrifice of his son. You know what real forgiveness is? Here's what God said I'll do. I'll never bring it up to you again. Man, don't you wish wives worked like that? That would just be wonderful, wouldn't it? I'm not going to bring it up to you again. And you know what else? I'm not going to bring it up to others. I'm not going to stand before God and Jesus go, You know, I forgave him, but you know what that rascal did. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a bummer? He said, I'm not going to bring it up to others. And you know what the most important thing is? I won't bring it up to myself. And when you forgive somebody as the Lord God for Christ's sake has forgiven you, we got to do the same thing. Somebody goes, Marlon, how do you not bring it up to yourself? Oh, you can remember things, and you're you're not going to be able to get that out of your head. But the old people had a say. You can't stop a bird from flying over, boys, but you don't got to let him make a nest. You can say, get behind me, Satan. I've forgiven that and let it go. That's forgiveness. God is offering to take sin away that will not be remembered anymore. Now folks, that's real deliverance. The guilt and the weight of that sin can be gone by the precious blood of Christ. If we'll just let him do it. That's how God forgives us. And he's offering it to everybody. But we don't have to do that. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know, I, I, I hear sermons sometimes about judgment day and how as a Christian, you're going to stand before God and Satan is going to be the district attorney. I always love the way district attorneys get to be Satan. <laughs> And Jesus will be the defender and God will be the judge and the angels will be the jury. It's not going to happen like that. I mean, it's a great scenario if you want to put that thing together. Stand before God and he goes, Marlon, and this is just out of the blue, people. If this is a very special day for you, I'm sorry. What did you do on June the 15th, 1980? I'm going to look back at God and go, can you make it multiple choice? <laughs> Man, I don't remember what I had for breakfast. I can hide my own Easter eggs these days, folks. I can't remember. What was I, what was I doing? In, I think we were moving to Houston in June of 1980, if, if I recall correctly, but I don't know how that went exactly. As a Christian, what sin are you going to give account of? You're not going to give account of sin God doesn't Remember? He's not going to bring that up. When sin is forgiven, it is taken away. That's the precious blood of Christ. And you can have that. And you don't have to look over your shoulder. And you don't... If you want to remember June 15th of 1980, that's cool. But you don't have to. Because God takes sin away. In Ezekiel 18 verse number 20 to 25, they were actually accusing God of being unfair. They were saying God's ways are not equal. He's not fair. And God, through the prophet, rebukes them. He says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father and the father shall not bear the iniquity of the son the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. He goes a little further in that reading and he said, but my ways, you say my ways are unequal? No. If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does the way of the wicked, he will die. And if the wicked will turn from his wickedness and turn to God, he shall save his soul alive. That's fair. That's fair. You know, there's no handcuffs in these pews. You can walk away anytime you want to. Oh, it'll hurt some of us, and we'll regret it, and you'll probably get a few visits, to try to get you to come back, but you don't have to. God doesn't make you serve him. He wants you to do it because you want to. What do you really want to do? Do you want to serve God? He's ready. God's ways are fair, folks. And He's offered mercy instead of justice. He's offered forgiveness and deliverance. And the last enemy that'll be destroyed is death. He's offered eternal life. I hope you take advantage of that. You know, I've always felt sorry for King Saul. Somebody goes, well, why would you feel sorry for King Saul? First of all, Saul should have never been in the position that he was in. He should have never been a king. God did not intend for Israel to have a king, folks. And second of all, Saul was not looking for a job when he became the king. Do you know what the guy was doing? Now, Saul was a big scrapping fellow. They said he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He, He looked the part of a king. Probably a very athletic type of a guy. As many times as he threw a javelin at David, he's probably a pretty good shot too. <laughs> but you know what he was doing? His dad had some animals that got away and he was rounding up the animals. He was looking for donkeys. And Samuel, God told Samuel, said that's the guy, you make him the king. You know what I've noticed about all these kings, particularly Saul, David, Solomon, Look how humble they started out. How humble they were before God and how they viewed that task of being king. David was a very humble beginning. Saul's looking for donkeys. Solomon, when God said, I'll give you whatever you want in, in, in 2 Kings 3, he said, Give me a wise and understanding heart that I can rule or judge this, thy, so great a people. You know what he was doing when he was old? He married seven. He had seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines, and the wives took his heart away from God. And he was building false. He was building altars to false gods. Solomon. Now, a lot of the theologians theorize, and nobody knows this for sure, that Proverbs was written whenever Solomon was kind of middle of the, the thing. And Ecclesiastes, he came back to God when he was old and said, "Vanity of vanities, all is vanity," saith the preacher. I hope that's right. But what happened to this guy that's, I, I need wisdom so I can know how to judge this I so great a people to build an altars to false gods. What happened to this guy that was just looking for donkeys and they made him king and now all of a sudden he's gonna defy God to his face. And then there's old David. He come a long way from the shepherd boy to Bathsheba, didn't he? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You know, sometimes preachers are kind of like old Samuel was. In 1 Samuel 8 there, the people wanted a king. And Samuel, it hurt his feelings. They, they, They were rejecting him. And you know, sometimes we get that attitude as preachers. You know, I did about 16 of these Bible studies and everybody I talked to obeyed the gospel. Nobody said no. And I thought, this is, this is the ticket, buddy. And then I did number 17. We got done about 10 o'clock at night, and I asked him, Would you like to go be baptized into Christ? No, I don't believe I would. Ho, ho, ho. Where's that? That's not in the script. And I've, I want you to know, I went home. And I, I cried about it, and I got my book out. What did I leave out? What did I not say? Five o'clock in the morning, I'm still up looking, and Bev goes, Hey, sometimes you got to let them make their own decision. And then I read this. You know, what, you know what? They didn't reject me. Nobody's rejected me. And they didn't reject Samuel. The Bible says, if God's talking to Samuel. He said, dry your eyes, basically. He said, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me that I should not reign over them. When you reject the preacher, when you don't want to listen, you're not rejecting the preacher. That's Jesus making the call. How many invitations have been offered in this congregation? And how many times have we sat there and done nothing about it? How many? How many? And every time you rejected that call, you were rejecting Christ, and not the brothers up here doing the talking. That was the problem now, the other problem they had is righteousness is not necessarily inherited you know i'm I'm, I'm proud of my lineage. My oldest daughter's got a master's degree in history, and one of the things she did was that was it 23 and Me or something like that, where they do your DNA and find out where you came from. We are really a Heinz 57 group in our family. <laughs> I want you to know that's what they used to call mixed breed dogs. So, like, never mind. At any rate. <laughs> and we found, and I'm proud of my lineage, and I'm proud of where we come from, and I can tell you all these countries that, that she found out that we were in, and some of my coals tend to show up in, Not so savory places sometimes in our lineage, but we're proud of our lineage, aren't we? You know, grace, righteousness is not passed down through the bloodline, folks. Now let me tell you what I'm talking about. Samuel had two sons, and he wanted them to be judges like he was over Israel. And they took bribes. They were exactly what Will Rogers, the cowboy philosopher out of Oklahoma, used to say about the Congress of the United States. You know what he used to say? He goes, man, we got the best politician's money can buy. <laughs> Think that went over a little bit. Now, how do you like to go before a judge and the outcome of your case is determined before you ever get to him? I'm not too happy with that, are you? We don't like a rigged game. You know what we call it? We call it moving, changing the rules or moving the goalpost. And we don't like that. That was Samuel's sons. And that was one of the things that caused them to want to have a king. Now what's the point of me bringing that up to you? Your mom and dad may have been great people. Your family may have been in the church for 150 years. And you've got preachers and elders and deacons and, and teachers. And righteousness is not passed on through the bloodline. The question is, have you made a decision for Jesus? It's great that your mom and dad did. But the father shall not inherit the iniquity of the son. The son will not inherit the iniquity of the father. Nor are you going to inherit his righteousness. Now yes, parents can have a say in the outcome of whether children obey God or not. By our example. Are you counting on the bloodline? Are you taking care of it yourself? Didn't work with Samuel. His sons weren't like Sam. They weren't Samuel. Now, if you go down a little further, you get down to about verse 19 or 20 in 1 Samuel 8. They'll say, Nay, but we will have a king over us that we may be like all the other nations and our king may go out before us and fight our battles. That we may be like everybody else. You know, we say that is a terrible thing for children to learn. Son, don't go run off and do all that stuff just because everybody else does it. You know, there was a program called Just Say No to Drugs. Happened in the Reagan administration. You buy a box of candy, you open it up, you said, Just Say No to Drugs. If everybody else is doing drugs, you don't have to, son, daughter. Don't do what everybody else does. And then mom and dad pick a church because everybody else goes there. What kind of message is that? I've had people go, Marlon, you've been working a lot of times with all these smaller churches. Don't you want the kids? No. My kids are around their friends probably eight hours a day. They go to school. And I mean, at least, I know school's six, but then you got all kinds of the football and the soccer and the basketball. We got a tennis trophy. I come home and there is a tennis trophy on my mantle. I didn't know we were in tennis. Why am I always the last one to know these things? They're around their friends all the time. Don't you think I can teach them to give their God three hours? What's wrong with us, parents? That I can take them Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night and give them three hours to serve their God, because they can be with their buddies the rest of the time. Now, I think Jeremy, the oldest, one, run a scam on me in high school. I'm about almost positive of this little deal. They play football on Friday night. Well, he knew we were hauling hay and stuff like that on Saturday. But he goes, we're required to go watch film, Dad. Uh, We're just required. It's mandatory. And I got to thinking, you know, after all this time, I'm not so sure that is mandatory. I'm thinking, he didn't want to haul hay, did he? Maybe he's more clever than I gave him credit for. But we tell our kids, don't just go do what everybody else does. My dad used to say, Son, if everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you? I would love to say no to that. And it wasn't a bridge, it was a train trestle. There was about five or six of us boys, about 10, 11 years old, and we crossed this train trestle and we looked down and there was this water hole down there. And one of them goes, I Wonder how deep that is. It was hot. And we go, Well, I don't know how deep it is. And one of them goes, There's one way to find out. He bailed off in that Hummer, and then the next one and the next one, and finally there's one idiot left up on that trestle. And yes, if everybody else jumped off a bridge, I did, I jumped. I would do that, Dad, yes, I would. Now, that did not encourage my father, I want you to know, or make him feel better about me. But I actually have jumped off a bridge because everybody else did it. And we know that's terrible. And when it comes to your faith and your soul, We're going to do it because everybody else does. Now, I'm going to give you something to think about. God's people have never been the majority. Even when they were a nation and a theistic government, they were never the majority. Think about that one for a bit. Jesus said, Few there be that find it. He wasn't kidding. Because a lot of people do something doesn't make it right. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, Moses said. People tend to do that, don't we? Are you sure Jesus is the Son of God? I can show you over one billion, with a B, billion. I can show you over one billion people on this planet right now that will tell you that Jesus Christ is not the Son of the living God. Can a billion people be wrong? If Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him, a billion people are wrong. And you can just become one more of them and you'll be as wrong as they are. God's not impressed with numbers, people. He's impressed with those that obey his word. Don't do it just because everybody else does it. Now, Saul winds up getting to be king and he winds up getting himself in a real mess because the people decided they were going to have a king instead of judges over. You know that die was cast from that moment. Israel was de- destined from that moment for bad times. Eventually it's going to divide their kingdom the northern kingdom is not ever going to return as a kingdom. The southern's going to Babylon and then to to persia for a while. Then they'll come back and rebuild. And those people that went through that, that die was cast before they were born. What are we leaving these little ones, folks? What are we leaving them? I used to use my father-in-law as an example I can tell you right now, Bev and I go to church. There's three generations of our family there. They're, they're, some of them are still babies. If they follow their granddad, where are they going? What kind of legacy are we leaving them to follow, folks? Are they going to follow their God? If they follow my steps, will it lead to the throne of God or will it lead to eternity in hell? you got to make that decision for you. But I know this, the die is being cast right now. Some of these young people here aren't married yet. Most of them aren't married yet. That's cool. Most of you can't even drive yet. That's cool. You're setting the die right now for your great-grandchildren. Great-grandchildren, I ain't got a car. I don't have a date. I don't have a wife. You're setting it right now. You make your mind up right now, young people. Do I follow God or do I follow the world? And your decision that you make very young is going to affect your future family for generations to come. Saul got caught up in the people's mess. God didn't do this to them. That's the other point. If they'd have done what God told them to do, they'd have been okay. But he decided to follow the doctrines and commandments of men. Instead of what God wanted. And that's why why I feel sorry for the guy. He should have never been in that position to start with. To mess up like this. Now when you go down a little bit further. He goes over to Amalek. And he comes back. And in verse number 19. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord. But didst fly upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know Samuel was an old man. And I tell people, I, I, have a lot of, I have a lot in common with Samuel. His eyesight was terrible. You ought to see how big the print in this Bible is, and I, I really have a hard time seeing it. If it gets any bigger, two of the young guys are going to have to bring my Bible up here for me to read it. I understand bad eyesight, but apparently there wasn't much wrong with his hearing. Now, in my case, I got bad eyes, and I make up for it by not being able to hear. But Samuel could hear the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of the oxen, and he goes, did you do what God told you to do? And Saul said, yeah, I did it. He is delusional. That's not what God said to do. Remember what that verse was? Utterly destroy them? How do you miss that, Saul? And so Samuel goes, what me? I hear this. I hear all these animals. What's that all about? And he said, why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? And you flew on the spoil. That gets better. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. He's still doing it. He's in total denial. Do we ever deny sin? We just ignore it? what he's doing. God, he knew good and well he didn't do what God told him to do. Are we just going to deny that we've got any problems at all? Saul was trying that approach. And God didn't buy it with Saul. You know... Not everybody that disobeyed God had the same problems. some of these people did. You know, when they worshiped the golden calf, 3,000 died. Their people worshiped idols and God didn't kill them. Their people, a guy violated the Sabbath in the book of Numbers and they stoned him to death, but they didn't stone everybody that violated the Sabbath. These things happened as examples for you and I. And if God is not gonna buy Samuel, uh, Samuel Saul, denying his sin, do you think we're going to be able to just ignore ours and deny it? I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. Have gone the way which the Lord sent me. We're tight. Me and God, Samuel. And then it gets better. And it brought Agag, the king of Amalek. Is that what God said to do? He said, go over there and bring king back. Now, that was a custom. Whenever they won a battle, they took the king. You know, they say Cleopatra killed herself because she didn't want to be taken back to Rome. That was kind of a custom in the ancient world. And I brought back Agag the king. Did God say bring the king back? You know better than that. And have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Man, this thing here, you talk, you can't make this kind of stuff up. I've done what God told me. I went the way the Lord sent me, brought the king back, and have utterly destroyed him. If you utterly destroyed him, what are you doing with the king? You know, there's a saying about men that wives understand. Deny, 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 and when you get caught, deny some more. <laughs> I guess that's what Saul's doing here. He's trying to work his way out of it. But the people took of the spoils, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Now, here's the deal, boys. Here's the deal, preacher. We didn't steal it, we're not greedy. We're going to have a super sacrifice in Gilgal. Now, God's into sacrifice. I want you to know that. So, these man, this is going to be one that, this will be the mother of all sacrifices. This is going to be great. Surely, God can't be unhappy with us for that. Now, I like the way things get worded in Scripture, and I think they're worded this way for a reason. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep, the camels, the oxen, to offer as sacrifice to your God in Gilgal. Now make something out of it. I love it way became your God. Well, he made something out of it. Samuel said, If the Lord is greater delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also hath rejected thee from being king. He made something out of it, didn't he? He said, do you think God's gonna be pleased with your sacrifice rather than obeying his voice? He said, that's rebellion and stubbornness. Isn't that usually what gets us? I've known a, a lot, of, a lot of guys, and the ones I've known, eventually obey the gospel. And I'll ask them, one met with us like 10 years or so. I go, why did you wait 10 years? He said, I didn't want her to know she was right. Is that not stubbornness? Is that not rebellion against what you know God wants you to do? And you know what? That is not an uncommon story. Our pride gets in the way. It causes us to be stubborn and to be rebellious. Let me tell you one thing I hate as a husband. And young fellas, y'all listen up. Stay out of this corner. Man, this is a bad, bad corner. Have you ever been fighting with the wife and halfway through that hummer, you realize she's right? (laughs) Oh, I hate it when that happens. But I'm the head of the house. I can't back up. I can't. She'll think I'm a wimp. I got to keep going. That's stubbornness and rebellion, isn't it? You know, the right thing to do is say, hey, I was wrong. I messed up. But we don't want to do that. And it's our pride that causes that stubbornness and that rebellion in us. Young guys, stay out of that corner. It's an ugly corner. I guarantee it. There, you can't win that one. I mean it. Best thing to do is don't get in that corner. How do you avoid it? Swallow that pride. That's going to lead to stubbornness and rebellion. But because you did that, Saul, God's going to reject you as being king. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I always stop there because I figure, well, Saul goes, messed up. Here's the crown. <laughs> he did not go quietly into that good night, he fought God from that day forward. And when God, when God sent Samuel to anoint David to be the king, Saul tried to kill the anointed of God. From that day forward, he was fighting his God. That's what stubbornness and rebellion will lead to. You will find yourself fighting your God. Gamaliel said it well in the book of Acts, did he not? They brought the apostles to him, and he said, they put the apostles out, and he goes, look, Leave these guys alone. If this is of men and there's nothing to it, it's going to fall apart. But if it's not of men, you're going to find yourself fighting against God, which they did. They found, thinking they were serving God, they they actually found themselves fighting their God. Saul, who became Paul, was fighting Jesus when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Stubbornness and rebellion. Jesus warned us about that. He had told the apostles about it. He said, one day they're going to kill you and think they do God a service. Pride leads to stubbornness and rebellion. And Saul was filled with pride. You know, nobody likes to admit they're wrong. That's part of that pride thing. Jesus had a fellow come to him and what led to the story of the good Samaritan. This fellow come to Jesus and goes, what's the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. The second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself." You know what the Bible says next about this dude? We overlook some of this stuff sometimes. What the Bible says next about him, and he willing to justify himself said, who is my neighbor? And that led to the story of the Good Samaritan. And he, will, he didn't humble himself under the mighty hand of God so God could exalt him in due time. He justified himself. You know what the wise man Solomon wrote? Every man's right in his own eyes. Now, I've never had a bad idea. You can ask me. I'm telling you right now, I ain't never had a... I never thought stop one time and go, this is a terrible idea. Watch what happens now. I've never done that. I've always thought it was a good idea. Bev will go, Marlon, can you ever think of a time you was wrong? And I'm going, I'll get back with you on that one. No, we don't think we're wrong. We don't want to admit we're wrong, do we? Humble yourself before your God. Otherwise, it'll lead to stubbornness. And rebellion. I want you to know the results of your decision. If we do like Saul did, don't reinvent the wheel. Don't try to help God out. I saw a sign one time where it said, God, God is talking. He says, I'm gonna handle your problems today. The lady at the bank had this sign. I'm gonna handle all your problems today. Dot dot dot. No, I don't need your help. <laughs> We don't need that. But the results are very real. Look what happened to Israel as a result of this stuff. Saul lost the kingdom. It was taken away from him. When the Bible tells you, when the Bible says the thief cometh not but for to kill and steal and destroy, the results in your life of rejecting God are going to be very, very real. What about the little ones? To me, that's a bridge too far and a price way too high to lose one of them because of my stubbornness and my rebellion. Revelation 20 and 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Pretty short little verse, isn't it? But the consequences of your decision are very real. And even though you're very young or we're very old, our decisions are gonna affect generations to come and the cost is going to be very high. If our stubbornness and our rebellion because of our pride causes us not to bend the knee to our God. I'm gonna tell you one last story because I think this is how we are as Americans. In the 1930s, Nazi Germany put on the Olympics. And at the entrance the, the the flags of the nations come by the grandstand where the Fuhrer was and the king and of other places and, and all this stuff, all the heads of state are there. And did you know every flag that went through that ceremony dipped in honor of those heads of state? Except one. You know which flag that was that didn't bow? The United States, baby, USA. And so they called the guy on the carpet that was carrying the flag and they go, you've just insulted all the heads of state. Why'd you do that? And he said, the US bows to no king. And I'm going, yeah, we don't bow to no king. In fact is, we fought a war kicking him off off the continent. And then I got to thinking, is that our attitude? Because we don't bow to no king? Not even the king of kings and lord of lords. That every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. Folks, that's pride that causes stubbornness and rebellion. And it'll cost you your soul. And it'll cost you the souls of those you love. Don't let that happen to you. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. He'll forgive you, take your sin away, and it will be remembered no more. Come as we stand and sing.